The end of the year is fast approaching, and this year the Cood Street Podcast are doing something a little different. We're inviting 24 creators of some of this year's best and most interesting books to join us for 10 minutes or so to talk about what they're reading, their favorite holiday reads, what they had out this year, and what they've got coming out in the year ahead. It's a Cood Street advent calendar if that's your sort of thing, or it's just a run up to the holidays for book lot lovers. Today I'm joined by the wonderful N.K. Jemison. Hello, Nora. Hi, how are you? I'm fairly well. How are you? I am still alive. <laughs> that's, that's, you know, in these, these, these days of our end of our year, 2022, uh, that that's as good as it gets sometimes. So I was saying to someone, it feels a bit like, um, moving through ballistics gel, passing through time, you know, it's like, <laughs> as, as, as the, you know, the, yeah. the, the, the you drag know. is really, really palpable. Yeah. Yeah. It has become so. And, and looking back, mm. I realized the last time we spoke, was just mm-hmm. on the very cusp of the beginning of the pandemic back in March of 2020 when you just had oh. the city we became come out. Huh. Okay. Huh. Yeah. That's all right. Then that's that suggests that these books are omens. <laughs> not great things. <laughs> omens all right. It's, it's just as well that I'm done with the duology then. <laughs> well, I mean, let me ask you because, I mean, I've been talking to people about this. It is. I mean, it's very easy to say something's an unprecedented thing in your lifetime or whatever, but it's been a genuinely strange time. How have you been through it? Have you been able to read, work, do all those kind of things? Um, I have been able to work. Uh, I, I struggled for a while early in the pandemic um, with writing when, you know, it felt like writing felt frivolous with all of the other mm. stuff that was going on, you know, with pandemics everywhere and, sure, uh, sure. you know, the, the, the country kind of teetering on the brink of dis- descending into solid fascism and yada, yada, yada. Um, you know, it felt trivial to write. And I yeah. finally managed to kind of get past that because I had deadlines um, and uh, I got the world we make done. Um, but it was a struggle to write anything else. Like I yeah. usually like to write short stories. I was working on scripts everything else like the the one thing that i focused on was the book um but fortunately that phase of not being able to write kind of did not last long uh you know the the nature of my particular writing thing is that when i am deeply stressed i write more usually okay um the fact that this didn't happen this time automatically like there was a pause that is super that's never happened before in my yeah. whole life. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, now that I've resumed writing a little bit, I just finished uh, the, the second draft of a short story um, mm-hmm. that uh, hopefully I'll be able to send off to an anthology at some point soon. Um, I'm ideally going to start work soon on a new project uh, which, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> and a new script, which I also can't talk about. <laughs> so this is going to be a real short podcast. Um, it's been great talking sorry. to you. Have a great day. <laughs> okay, we're all done. Bye. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so that's what's that's what's going on now. Well, I mean, when we last spoke, as I say, the city we became uh, was just out in the world, or not long out in the world, having obviously had a you know a, a fair period of gestation, and then mm-hmm. I'm assuming that between say March of 2020 and uh, into this year, you're working on the you know the, the new book, um, the world we made. Mm-hmm. Um, when you talk about struggling with writing, I think, did it help to have the structure of what you were supposed to be doing next laid out? Or did you find yourself having to change and move a lot on the fly as you, mm. you, know, I mean, you obviously had a lot of experience writing sequels and series structures. So that's not new to you per se, but mm-hmm. was it a different kind of a thing than doing it this time? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Um, I alluded to this in the uh, acknowledgments of the world we make, but uh, basically the, the reason that it went from being a trilogy to a duology was because of the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> blame Trump. Um, that's not hard. Uh, but uh, yeah, so the I, I had three stories lined up originally when I started working on this trilogy, which is sort of standard for any writer that does that sells a trilogy altogether. You, sure. you already have to do some basic outlining and show that to yeah. your publisher. Um, but one of the plots was supposed to be about a, uh, you know, sort of borderline fascist or solidly fascist uh, president who decided to uh, vilify and attack uh, New York as as a means of sort of elevating his own political status. Um, and then Trump did. Sure. <laughs> so he actually did that. And then at that yeah. point, I was sort of like, okay, well, this plot isn't going to work anymore. Um, yeah. And so I took pieces of what would have been book two, uh, pieces I had sort of thought about for book three, combined them, uh, squished them up like Play-Doh, reshaped them a little bit, um, talked to my publisher about whether we can do this as a duo instead of a trio. Uh, sure. And they were on board. So I redid the entire plot line. Um, so yeah, it, it changed a whole lot. <laughs> it transformed the series. Um, and hopefully, my goal was to try and still give the story a satisfying ending. Sure. It's it's not the first time I've had to completely reshape the plot that I had in mind. No. Um, you know, I've scrapped entire books before. That's that's not an, um, yeah. but uh, or, or the majority of a book. I had gotten like my God, 98,000 words into a novel uh, and then yeah. decided that that one was not going to work. It was the wrong perspective and wrong, wrong character. It was necessary. It was a necessary sure. lesson of stop pushing yourself to do what you think should be done and listen to your own writing instincts and, and let that dictate it. Um, but that's a different story. <laughs> does, that, does, so. that, does that kind of speak to the axiom that you don't learn how to write novels, you write, learn how to write this one? And they're going to shift and change and move onto your hand and mm. be their own thing each time. That's, I mean, the the process of writing a novel is the same every single time. Mm -hmm. How much how much it is driven by my conscious brain versus by my unconscious brain um, is what seems to fluctuate. Sure. Um, you know, so with with that particular book that I was alluding to, that was part of the Inheritance Trilogy. Um, and people who read the Inheritance Trilogy noted in many cases that uh, with the third book, um, the the copy on the back of the book is written as if it's from one character's perspective and yeah. the book itself is actually from a different character's perspective. And that's because I had gotten 98,000 words into a story from <laughs> one character's perspective before I realized it needed to be somebody else's story. Uh -huh. um, and, and that was a necessary lesson for me as a baby novelist at that point, because that was my first published book, although not. Um, and that was my first lesson in like the fact that you need to remain flexible. You yeah. need to listen to, you know, the, the moment and not uh, your plan. Yeah. So, uh, you know, man plans, God laughs, and... Uh writers um, so uh, i don't i don't know if that's a good appropriation of that that phrase i don't think it's a good good one but but it'll work for now well in between the city we became coming out and the world we make being completed not only was there a pandemic at which you were kind of at, at an epicenter kind of thing being on the east coast of the united states but mm -hmm. um the, the city we became came out and was lauded everywhere people fell in love with it i saw a lot of kind of well when this the sequel comes out 
this better happen to this character and so-and-so better end up with so-and-so or else. It's like, someone's going to get it. If this, how much does reader response impact what you're doing and how you feel about the book you're working on? I try not to let it react impacted at all. Um, you know, yeah. I, I write for myself. I write the books sure. I want to read. Um, that said, I, I am a, giant nerd who likes other nerds and and yeah. making people happy makes me happy. So mm-hmm. um, if there's a thing that I want to see in a story, which I think that other people want to see, then I'll go ahead and write it. Um, if I start to notice that people are getting really anxious about a particular thing happening to a character, sometimes I'm evil. Sometimes I will drop, <laughs> Oh, um, so I'm writing a scene in which this character's life is in danger. Ooh. <laughs> Sometimes I'll do that because I'm just, you know, writers are, are, are also, um, we do terrible things to our characters and sometimes to our readers. Um, and sometimes we enjoy it. Uh, but, uh, you know, in some cases, like I, I uh, with uh, one of the books, one of the Broken Earth books, um, I heard from some readers who were like, you know, you've got this trans character, Tonki, um, who's an, an important but supporting character throughout the story. Um, and, you know, people were telling me, well, I, I'm terrified that she's not going to make it. I'm terrified that she's going to die because so often that is what happens sure, to trans characters. Sure. Um, and sometimes I will say to readers, you know, this character is safe. This character is not yeah. going to die. You know, they're going to go through some shit. Yeah. Me. It's a story. But, yeah, yeah. Um, but they're not going to die. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I try and reassure people ahead of time uh, with, with things like that. But other than that, mostly I cackle evilly and and then inflict horrors on my characters because that's so uh, if that's what the story requires, then that is that is the sacrifice that must be made. Well, now that the duology is complete uh, and you're looking to other projects, I assume, mm-hmm. how, how I do you feel about it? Do you have any sort of perspective on it now as, as a complete thing? Do you, you know, sort of? Mm, no, it's too soon. It's only been yeah. a month. Um, and, and I normally don't get perspective on things that I write for years afterward. Um, there are new discoveries I'm still making about the inheritance trilogy. It's been Mm -hmm. out since 2010 uh, or 2011. Okay. Well, a long time that I can't remember. So, um, you know, I mean, it it is, it is the nature of art though, is that as you, as you, if you're making a painting, if you're making a sculpture, if you act, um, you go back and you look at that old work and you rediscover new things about yourself. Um, and so, you know, that is the the only thing that I think is kind of relevant in the case of The City We Became is that I knew that it was being cut short by my stress, um, yeah. that I still really wanted to tell three stories in this world, but I yeah. didn't have the energy when I was kind of like struggling with all of the, you know, emotional stress, sure. mental health issues, you know, just doom scrolling, yada, yada, yada. Um, I needed energy to be able to do that. And I realized I was running short. So I left some dangling plot threads in the second book in case the urge comes back in case the energy okay. returns. Um, and I can pursue it and probably write a third book at that point for now though. I like that. I'm a little off the hook with it. Um, I still o- orbit a third book, but uh, they're fine with it not being in this trilogy. Sure. Sure. So, mm-hmm. Well, I guess, I mean, sort of, before we completely segue away from, you know, the, the, the city we became duology, I mean, how important, you're talking about trans characters and everything else, how important during the 
writing of this book because it has these different perspectives from the different parts of the city of New York, which show different character characteristics of the city and of the population. But how important was it to be aware of those differences, to work with sensitivity readers, perhaps that kind of thing, during the process of developing the story and bringing the whole thing to its current conclusion? Um, I would say that it was more important in this case than in any of my other books. Um, All of my other books are set in secondary worlds among races and cultures that don't exist. Um, In this case, I was writing in this world, real people, Um, you know, fake characters, not fake, but, you know, characters as opposed to living human beings. Sure, sure. Um, But the cultures that I was referring to in many cases did actually exist. So um, with uh, like my Lenape character, Bronca, um, you know, I knew I, I knew as much as I could research and read from books, um, but there were still limits to what I was going to be able to render about her experience. Of course. Um, and so I reached out to uh, an indigenous scholar that I knew, asked around, um, and got referred to another indigenous scholar mm-hmm. who was uh, very familiar with uh, the language that Bronca would speak, the cultural elements. Now, you know, some of these things things don't translate exactly. Um, this was a particular culture that had fissioned. Some of them went up to Canada. Some of them went down further the East Coast. Um, and so these bands were no longer unified, but I still could get like as close as I could sure, to that sure. info. Um, I went to a powwow. I reached out to the group that I was trying to say that she was from and asked for assistance with that. Um, yeah. With my Indian character, I had three sensitivity readers, um, partly mm. just because it was easier to find people. <laughs> but uh, but uh, in any case, I wanted to make sure that I was getting the nuances of her identity right because there were layers of complexity that I didn't understand. Yeah. And I knew it. There was no amount of book reading and movie watching that was going to give me that. Sure. Um, so I wrote what I could, showed it to people who hopefully would help me catch any glaring yeah. errors. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, you, you take a risk whenever you choose to write characters outside yeah. yourself. Um, and I j- just chose to take that risk, but I yeah. tried to minimize any potential harm that I could. Yeah. Yeah. Does the research that you do for one project feed into what you do next? Oh, of course. I have to stop myself from writing about rocks all the time. Um, but uh, rocks and God. <laughs> but, uh, so, I mean, it's my brain, and I think that this is probably true for any writer. Mm-hmm. Your brain is a pack rat. Your brain is constantly collecting little tidbits of information to hmm. uh, to regurgitate. And oh, that's probably the wrong. Um, but to <laughs> remix into <Sure. laughs> a better form, um, and you know, little tidbits, little facts that that eventually pop up, and you don't even necessarily know that they're going to turn into writing, um, you know, or something that you use. Um, but if it's interesting, my mind latches onto it, and eventually, it's going to come back probably yeah i think you know, you've said that you've found your way back to writing through you know through the pandemic and mm-hmm. that with a little bit of good fortune you'll have a short story finished soon and moving on do you at least have a feeling uh, of where you're going next and what happens uh, and I, I mean i know quite often writers some writers love to talk about what they're doing some mm-hmm. don't and that's perfectly fine but i mean mm. do you have do you have, do you have the the next thing in mind now i do and i can't talk about it but uh normally this is another sign of how the the pandemic has hit normally i have two or three additional novel ideas kind of just in in waiting the waiting mm-hmm. room 
um, and, and ready for me to finish one so that I can immediately start working on the next one. I have one idea in the kitty right now. That's not normal for me. Normally I, I have this sort of omnipresent feeling of I'm not going to live long enough to write all the stuff that's in my head. Sure. Um, but all of a sudden there's a, there's a little bit of a lull. Um, and I'm trying to listen to that. I'm trying to give myself the, the permission to just be a little burned out, yeah. you know, to recover from that burnout, acknowledging that burnout, um, because that is what it is. When when I've yeah. run out of the creative creative energy that is normally just sort of percolating in my brain, um, and when I'm hearing that kind of silence in my, my cue, yeah. <laughs> my mental story cue, <laughs> um, um, that's that's not a good sign. And yeah, and yeah. I want to try and kind of head that off at the past before it gets any worse. Yeah. Um. So so that's what's happening. We're, we're moving towards the end of the year. So let me ask you, uh, in the context of this particular discussion, um, mm-hmm. do you have any particular holiday traditions or holiday reads you like to go back to or things you like to do sort of mm-hmm. culturally f- for the holiday? Not really. Um, you know, I did not come from a big Christmas family. Sure. Uh, we were we were Thanksgiving people, you know. Mm-hmm. We were the kind of folks that, that made a feast the size of God um, and, and – <laughs> And eight while watching hours and hours of football. I hate football, but on Thanksgiving, I will watch. Like, mm-hmm. so th- those were the traditions. Um, Christmas was, eh, do what you feel like. Um, yeah. You know, and uh, I've generally, before the pandemic, I usually, I, I would do um, Friends Friendsgiving and Friends Christmas, Friendsmas. Sure. Um, yeah. Which were kind of not really specifically about Christmas, but just I've cooked food. Here, come get some. Sure. Um, if you are alone, come get some food. If you can't cook, come get some. Um, I, you know, the part of me that grew up in the South is, is perpetually like just trying to, yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, and, and that's mostly what I do. Um, in this case, I'm not doing get togethers because of COVID still, it's still an issue. Um, sure. and now RSV and the flu and everything else. Um, but, uh, I'm still going to cook and people can come get a plate and, and they won't stay and sit around and eat, but you know, I'll still be happy because I will have fed people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, the city we became and the world we make are out in the world. There will be another project somewhere a year or two down the track, I assume. But for the, <laughs> Let's hope so. But for the moment, Nora Jemison, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>